Hi, I'm Kim Vu. Welcome to Vietnola, the show about being Vietnamese in New Orleans. Vietnola is our window into our Vietnamese community in New Orleans and a bridge to Vietnam. We're a member of the family of shows on the podcast network, itsneworleans.com. Xin chào quý vị. Đây là bài Vietnola, chương trình pháp hành về cộng đồng Việt Nam ở New Orleans. Vietnola là một cánh cửa để nhìn vào cộng đồng New Orleans và một cảnh nối với quê hương. Vietnola là một số trình diễn trong chương trình pháp hành podcast itsneworleans.com. Today on the show, we'll have a conversation with Barbara Tenga Weaver an Amerasian woman whose parents met during the Vietnam War. Barbara is the executive assistant to the chief information officer at West Jefferson Medical Center just outside of New Orleans. The daughter of a Vietnamese mother and American soldier, Barbara grew up in Saigon until 1975 when she moved to the U.S. at the age of seven. From then on, she was raised in Portland, Oregon, and was surrounded by a growing and flourishing Vietnamese community. She eventually moved to New Orleans, where she now lives and works at the West Jefferson Medical Center. In addition, in addition to her work in the IT department, however, she has served as a bridge between West Jefferson Medical Center and the Vietnamese community through volunteer activities such as the Vietnamese Health Fair, which collected natural hair for cancer patients. Barbara, thank you so much for coming, and welcome. I'm really excited to hear about all the different... You seem to be involved in just about everything a person can humanly be involved in. Oh, thank you. I'm very honored uh, for this opportunity. When Tom reached out to me, I was just very, very touched. Tom's great, actually, at finding a lot of our wonderful guests. And mm -hmm. actually, uh, you know, it's it's great to see that, you know, your, while your job is a very professional and formal field that you're still so active. Um, you, and specifically with the Vietnamese community, you are the first Amerasian guest on the show who actually grew up in Vietnam. That's but correct. you seem to, and, and you seem, but you left young, mm -hmm. and you seem to identify very heavily with the Vietnamese culture, possibly more so than some of our guests who are, have both parents of Vietnamese descent. Oh, I'm, I'm very, very proud of my heritage. Uh, I, I'm, I feel very blessed and, gift, um, and gifted by both parents with um, our, our father, my father. Uh, he was an American soldier, so we never had to suffer uh, overseas. We never had to get cramped into these small little boats with hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, so it's hard for me to identify what it felt like being a boat person because we were privileged We by... Uh, uh, you know, by by the gift of the U.S. government, we came here by plane. Let's um, let's start from there. How okay. did your parents meet? What did your father do? Um, possibly knowing that you came on a plane, I'm guessing maybe he was an officer. No, no. Uh, no. At that time, any uh, any um, U.S. soldiers, from officer down, if they had families that they made when they served. Uh, in Vietnam, which was very, very common at that time, even though it was unspoken, but it was very common. Um, they were allowed through the U.S. Embassy, as the infamous picture we see, uh, the uh, helicopter on the rooftop of U.S. Embassy, it's the very same embassy. Uh, we were very lucky to have left Saigon two weeks before the fall of Saigon. So we were not in that large chaos that, that you see with the VC tanks rolling through the U.S. Embassy. None of that uh, were, were my images of when we left the country. Uh, when we left the country, my images were 
under one arm, my, my dad had my little brother, who's also Amerasian. The other arm, he had me, and then my, my sister, who were 100% Vietnamese, and an older brother, also 100% Vietnamese, and our mother trailed behind him. And we got on to a um, large uh, uh, bomber, a U.S. bomber. Okay. So when you got onto the plane, it was gutted out. There's no seats whatsoever. It was just straps, tons and tons of seatbelt straps. So it was meant to carry bombers and, and paratroopers. So that was our... Um, transportation. transportation. She's your new home. Transportation. <laughs> and so we ended up uh, on the Philippines and we were there for about two weeks. And during those two weeks' times, we were um, uh, situated in these Kwanzaa huts. And it's, it's now a defunct U.S. Air Force base there on the Philippines. And during that time, I remember seeing, you know, all of us, all of the kids play out in the fields. And we just, you know, we, we, the kids really had no idea of what was happening to us. And, and there were a lot of uh, Vietnamese families, too. But they were families of the soldiers, anywhere from officers to the soldiers. And then I remember seeing my mom cry because on the overhead um, speakers was when they announced the fall of Saigon. And so at that time, I realized you would never go we're never back going home. to Saigon again. <laughs> we were never going home. So your yeah. parents married in Vietnam? No, they, they married they married? they married when um, we landed in uh, Portland, Oregon. And actually, we married in, in um, across the river in Vancouver, Washington. Sometimes the Vancouver, Washington people don't want to be referred to as a suburb of, of <laughs> Portland, Oregon. But, but, but they are officially referred to as a suburb of Portland, you know. And so they, they married shortly after we came to America. And we were the first Vietnamese family that settled into Portland. And my Aunt Barbara, who I was named after, my American aunt, uh, took us in for a little bit before we bought our first house. And so I would say about up to about three years, we were the only Vietnamese family. We were pretty much isolated. Learning the language was probably pretty easy for my little brother and I. Um, I had a little bit of U.S or English as second language education when I was in Vietnam. That's, I, I want to go back to Vietnam, okay. growing up in Vietnam. Okay. So I got to go to school, <clears throat> so therefore I got to go outside. And I, I remember very well the streets. I remember the, <clears throat> our means of transportation from the apartment we lived in to the school. We went in Sitlos. Mm-hmm. And Sitlos are uh, huge tricycles, so to speak, with a seating up front for the passengers and the man on top in the back single uh, wheel pedals. They're and, kind of coming back into fashion in New Orleans, actually. Yeah, if you yes. So the they're right, quarter. right, yeah. right. And so they, they would have a parasol to, to shade the passengers a little bit, you know. So those sit low. So I remember that that's how I got to school with my mom. Uh-huh. And uh, one of Vietnamese the. Vietnamese school or an Viet- American well, school? Well, it was. Um, Vietnamese taught it was it was funded by the U.S. Embassy but they teach you English um, and, and the other students were all Vietnamese and I was the only funny looking kid and I, and I knew <laughs> I, I, I looked different than them you know because everyone there looked more like my older siblings and like I said you know I, I have a very endearing family photo where my little brother was just an infant and then my older siblings being 100% Vietnamese, and then there's me, and I look like some kid just wander into a family portrait. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's like, who is this Where child? did the little stray come yeah, from? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you have black hair, but you have very Western features. I, 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 I would say that 
Um, I certainly do. Mm-hmm. Most people who see me have mistakenly think that I'm either Italian or Latino. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And since I've moved here, a lot of people think I'm Cajun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. Well, I, right. Uh, you know, and uh, I'm none of those. You are Vietnamese. I'm Vietnamese. So. But your Vietnamese is really good. You still speak it. Oh, clearly. I, I, I certainly, certainly try. Yeah, I certainly try. I really believe, um, and even though my own two girls don't speak Vietnamese, they do understand. If, if, if They don't understand the full sentence, but they understand the concept, and they also understand the heritage. But um, because I'm first-generation Vietnamese, for me to l- let my heritage go would be an absolute insult. And because I did see um, little episodes of the war, you know, it matters to me to not lose that, those memories. Mm-hmm. And it sounds, I mean, your father sounds like a very, not just a brave man for serving in the war, but pretty emotionally brave. I mean, he signed up to two children mm-hmm. and two children not um, biologically belonging to him. And well, I, I actually I'm correct that on that. He, he has two bloodline children, my okay. little brother and I. So I, I affectionately called his two tours in Vietnam the Barber Tour and the Robert Tour because each time he served, he made a child with my mother. Okay, okay. <laughs> and, and, then, and then he acquired uh, four stepdaughters and one stepson. From, from your mother? Right. And oh, my goodness. So four, five. So that was five girls and two boys. So he went from having no children to all of a sudden there's a there's this household and so when we came to america my aunt barbara put us up in her home and she had how many children came to the united states the oh my goodness so so the whole family so my my mama has five girls and two boys so all seven children and then this little vietnamese woman on top of that so my goodness so we bunk uh down uh at my aunt's house for a little bit you know and and uh, of course, Bob and I, that's my little brother and I, we, you know, we were little kids then, so we acclimated rather quickly. And I would say my mom was probably a little hard-headed because, you know, she went through losing um, her homeland, never knowing if she'll ever see her own um, siblings again as well, you know. And so she went through a lot of heartbreak, and then, uh, uh, you know, she also had to quickly adapt to working you know in america learning english phonetically so uh-huh, i mean so yeah. and, and she yeah yeah learning english phonetically oh. she wrote out the english words and then when bob and i went to school we then taught her english mm-hmm. and she just wrote everything out phonetically and this woman never had more than probably third or fourth grade education she can amortize mortgage completely <laughs> 30 day, 30 years <laughs> Extraordinary intelligence. That is, yeah, yeah. extraordinary it intelligence. Is, <laughs> so it so. is a stereotype that we are good at. You're we hold math, true, math. right? We, yes, very really good at math, at calculation. <laughs> when it comes to money, we know we know what to do. Yeah. So I mean, when your father served in Vietnam, how old was he? How old was he when he came back with seven um, children? See, seven children. Uh, he was he was a little older. He he wasn't he wasn't you know just out of high school or out of college. You know, um, oh my gosh, I I would want to say probably. There you know my parents are about maybe five six years apart, 
And so my mama is about 88 now. So if we, if we reverse and we just do the math and reverse, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm 46, okay? So my mama's 88, I'm 46. She had me roughly at 42. So he was a little older, okay. you know? So he's always been a serviceman. He, he served in Korea. Um, so he's full-time military. Oh, he yeah. wasn't drafted. Right, okay. correct, correct. And so he, he just enjoyed it up to a certain point where... Uh, obviously having a full family would get you automatically you know a, a pass to to leave and and so again um you know going from no children of his own to all of a sudden here's this little bruise <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. intense he is not afraid of commitment no no like. but but I'll, I'll tell you this much um uh it 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 was very comical, you know, seeing that here's the one American person in our household. And then, uh, you know, the, the younger kids were learning Vietnamese or English, excuse me. And then most of us and then the older ones are struggling with it. So the communication was challenging, you know, but somehow it, it happened, you uh-huh. know. And, and so it, it worked out really well. But uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. There's a restaurant in um, Portland owned uh by bob farrell and it's it's like a um it's like a cross between a ice cream parlor slash chuck e cheese's meet together so they would um and this is in the process of learning english we went there and the waitress asked us if we would like to have an ice cream sundae and we thought she meant would you like to come back on sunday and have ice cream because here we are we just like Oh, <laughs> so, so, so we kept on saying we want our ice cream today, <laughs> and then she says, "Oh, they're ice cream Sunday," and then we're going, "Oh, why don't you serve ice cream today? You only serve it on." <laughs> so this whole thing we just went back and forth until until our our dad just stepped in and said, "No, that's what it's called." <laughs> so I was like, I thought, well, that was weird. We have to come back on a Sunday for ice cream. <laughs> that is a great story. Um, I understand that you are very active in an organization that, well, a bunch of organizations, but one in particular that unifies war babies in this country at a conference of sorts. Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this wonderful reunion. Um, it would be my first meeting. Um, since I uh, gave this uh, questionnaire to Tom, I went ahead and created a Facebook page solely for Emirations from Vietnam because Emirations can also be a mixture of the Philippines and Americans. Oh, okay, right. Okay. So that's included that, in That'll this. be included in such. So I, I made it really clear, Emirations from Vietnam. And and although, uh, you know, I know people here have commingled and have made babies between, you know, Anglo and Blacks and, and Vietnamese, but I'm referring to war babies. People who were born from 65 to about 75, that was a 10-year decade of where um, U.S. occupancy was very heavy. Uh, and so, and then, of course, you know, in time of war, there's some R&R episodes. <laughs> That's a good way to <laughs> put it. Some R&R episodes. And then, you know, the local beauties get to meet the soldiers, you know. And my, my mom was pretty, very pretty, you know. And some of the younger photos she has, she's a very, I, I can see why, you know. She's a very, very pretty woman. And so it, it's very, very normal for the, the Native and the soldiers to commingle, you know, and such. Um, so anyway, 
I, I want to look for uh, the war babies for the for the emigration. And man, this Facebook is only about maybe three weeks old, completely out of the woodwork. And I, I, I mean, just tons and tons and tons. And they're all my age group, anywhere born from 65 to 75. I, I'm just floored and I'm just- How many likes? Oh, well, let's see. I don't know about the likes. Um, or I, friends. Friends, okay, all right. So, so far, in about three weeks' time, I have a little over 100. Oh, wow. Yeah, a little over 100. And then um, I have I have two Facebook pages. One is dedicated to just the Emirasian, and then the other one is just my general one. But I, I keep tagging postings for both, so that way, you know, the general audience that I have on my regular one can also see, you know, what this is about. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I welcome all contributors, all people who wants to see in and post. such, in posts sure. and such like that. Sure. The only ground rules is that it's not meant for, for politics. It's not meant for discussing U.S. foreign policies or hatred of any president. It's simply just to introduce the sheer fact that um, there are these Emirations who... Um, who actually, I, I will say they're not victims because we don't want to be seen as victims, but they have suffered a lot more than I have. A lot of them have never met their fathers. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. after the war, um, a lot of the U.S. soldiers, I'll say, have already had families over here. And they left, and they left their Vietnamese uh, ladies. Mm-hmm. They left their children. Uh, and then, you know. I remember the first time I heard an Amerasian black person speak Vietnamese, and I was like, but how? How is that possible? How is that possible? <laughs> you know? right. I was realizing I was eight. Right, you know? right, exactly. And they exactly. are much closer to their mother, uh, apparently, than their their father. Yeah, and yeah. right, right. And so, uh, like I said, it just it just completely came out of the woodwork. I mean, it's just but the there's an actual conference that yes. you're going to. Okay. Yes, it's going to be in Dallas, uh, July the twelfth. Um, and I'll, who organizes this conference? Well, this lady, her name is Twee. Uh, I believe she is still one of the many that's who is searching for her father, you know, and, and time is not really on our side because again, if, if we're doing older, the math, yeah. we're all in our mid to late forties and, uh, you know, if their fathers were in their young twenties serving, then, you know, there's, there's a good chance. But if their fathers were like my, my father's age, who's now has passed 10 years ago, then their chance is going to become slimmer and slimmer. Absolutely, you know, because of uh, people dying off. You know, fascinating. So, and I mean, so, the, the, what have you been to one of these conferences before? Not yet. Okay. So, so uh, I is I, it like social? Are there lectures? Is well, it it's a it's mix? going it's going to be uh, from my understanding a mix. It's uh, going to rally, um, you know, the the strength and numbers in terms of uh, pushing Washington D.C and this is this is a little bit of a hot topic is that uh, i believe it failed miserably here in the last maybe five years ago is um anim- is amnesty uh granted from the u.s government to emigration children from the vietnam war who are still living in vietnam who, who are in the u.s who okay. are in the u.s in terms of citizenships uh, and so, I mean, we, we have... Wow. Is there still problems getting citizenship for we, Amerasian... Right. Because that the problem is that if you can't <coughs> if you can't find your American fathers... You have no evidence. You have no evidence that you were born to a U.S. soldier at the time of war. So wow. So in, in, in wartime... So even like 
the obvious physical the obvious physical does nothing because even if i even if let's just say i've never met my father what dna do i have to go against i mean if you know the 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 odds are i think i would win the lotto before i would find you know the right person with the match of you know right and so in in general in general terms when a u.s soldier serves in a foreign country in a time of war his child that's born in a foreign country is an american citizen if he acknowledges that child that is his you know and such such as on the birth certificate for example that would be an acknowledgement and so the problem with a lot of the immigration born in vietnam during wartime is that they didn't have that they and so searching for your father brings two two good folds number one seeing seeing your parents seeing the parents that you've missed it's just like anyone who's adopted. At some point, you you're, you want to see your birth parent. Secondly, it it gives them, you know, a link to a citizenship that they that they so want, which is they they do embrace the the, the U.S. ways, the American ways. And of course, there's a traditional ways to become a, a U.S. citizen too, is to go through the longer process of applying and taking the test, right? Which is which is fine, but but what the the thinking here is that. Any U.S. soldiers who serve in any foreign wars, those children become U.S. citizen, except for a lot of immigration who didn't get that because of the circumstances that, you know, their father fled to go back home and they were forgotten by by the U.S. government and by their fathers. So in, in, a, in a sense, this is more, it's less about the pragmatics of citizenship because they probably have earned it through traditional method or conventional, conventional methods method. by now. Conventional right. It is more about a statement of identity and uh, maybe uh, accountability of the U.S. government. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. It's quite a bit. I mean, there was Operation Baby Lift. I mean, there, you know, I, I would say that I am not here to condemn at all because it's just the sheer fact that I get to live in America compared to I can't imagine the aftermath of the war, you know, before the relations warmed up again back in the 90s. I mean, that was an extreme hardship for a lot of emigration. Families who've had emigration children after the war, when the communists came in, those families had the option of, okay, the government's going to starve your whole family to death because you won't get any benefits, or you you shun your own blood, who happens to be the half-and-half half mix, in orphanage or throw them out in the street or sell them to the sex trade. You know, so, so the, those mothers also had to make tough decisions especially if she had children who are a combination of 100% Vietnamese and then maybe a mix of, you know, some of her other children are half and half. So, you know, can you imagine being a mom and deciding, you know, which child to keep in order to, to, to have your whole family survive? Mm-hmm. Or if you chose to keep your whole family together, you, you all be beggars. Mm-hmm. It's... So let's talk about your work with the Vietnamese community here in New Orleans. Okay. It sounds like you were involved in, it sounds like maybe Locks of Love, is that what it's called? Well, this, uh, in, in uh, my, my many, many years, I've always grown my hair out to give to the Locks of Love. I just snip it at the salon, mail it off to their office in Florida, and that's, that's the extent of all that I know what happens to my hair. But by um, this time around, the idea is to keep the hair locally and to make the natural hair wigs for free, 
which is not something that Locks of Love does. But through American Cancer Society, as well as Pantene Beautiful Length, the partnership, I, I sent off, and I am a, uh, I would say, shameless marketer. I will market <laughs> myself if I know it's for the greater good. So I used my photo that I have on Lincoln, and I sent that off. I found Pantene Beautiful Length, and I kept bugging them on their Facebook page. And yes, I do use Pantene, and I show them this <laughs> glorious head of hair that I have. Um, and so uh, they connected the hospital with the local American Cancer Society chapter. And so the whole idea at the uh, <coughs> between the Vietnamese uh, health fair in, in June, as well as the West Jefferson Festival later in October, is that all the hair donated is going to stay local to make real hair wigs for free for cancer patients. So local meaning within the New Orleans and, and this region. So instead of having your hair ship off and then you never really see it and, and, and um, Locks of Love is, is a fine organization, I'll give again, but they do charge a fee. But we don't want a fee charge because while you're suffering through cancer, you're going to get another bill by buying a natural hair wig that runs five to five hundred to a thousand dollars. Oh goodness! Yeah, but but they're in better condition. They uh, look more natural, you know, feel better, and just the notion that it's local. It's local. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you also helped a local celebrity chef, Dickie Brennan scout out some Vietnamese and other Asian chefs for a project with the New Orleans Culinary and Hospitality Institute. Yes. What was that about? Oh my goodness. You know how timing is everything? Mm -hmm. Timing was everything. So uh, Mr. Brennan and I met up uh, at one of the one of my favorite Vietnamese spots actually. Uh, Which one? Well, Pho Orchid has now has three locations. There's one in Metairie. I've seen the one in Metairie. Yes. So okay. there's one in Metairie. That's their first door. Uh, I'm plugging it for Dave, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> so Pho Orchid out in Metairie is the first one. And there's a second one on Airline, maybe about a quarter mile down from Sam's. And then their third one is on St. Charles. So each location, their menu differs a little bit. So the one on St. Charles is more like a cafe. Uh -huh. So we met up there and his... His whole idea was to acclimate himself with the Asian community because he, since, you know, not familiar um, and, and I seem to be a decent bridge between the American culture and the Vietnamese culture. And how did he approach you? Uh, we, we have known each other from um, a couple years back. Not, not know each other, but know of each other uh, through our mutual uh, uh, support of a local campaign okay yeah and so off and on you know we we kind of know of each other but we don't know each other and so so he um recruited me uh he wanted to see if i could you know round up some asian chef and restaurant tours and uh, my list isn't uh full of amateurs i feel my list is very uh filled with uh, professionals, those who have actually had formal studies, as well as um, their restaurants have garnered uh, awards, mm -hmm. uh, as well as the big plus is will the chef or the owners be willing to teach? Because not everyone has that 
persona or charisma to teach. They can be really good in the kitchen, but they don't have the people skills. So it, it was through that whole concept. But there were three bases from what I understood by talking with Mr. Brennan is that um, these individuals have to support farm to table. Uh-huh. Farm to table, so your local markets, your local growers, you know, to your local restaurant tours. Um, also uh, to support um, uh, sustainability. So if you could, in lieu of having lawn, for example, you know, would you be able to use that plot of land for multi-use, you know, and such? And so the Vietnamese communities out in New Orleans, you know, famous famous for, that for the mm-hmm. com, you know community gardens and such like that um, co-ops the veggie co-ops absolutely aquaponics right mm-hmm. and then of course you know that the third part is is the willingness to teach the willingness to share your favorite dishes and have a story that goes behind that because the one thing i've discovered here is that people in this region don't just eat food they just they know the history of that food yeah, uh, Southern uh, Food and Beverage Museum, so fab. Mm-hmm. I mean, you learn more about a dish and its history than you ever could ever imagine, you know? And so it's the whole idea of knowing the history of your favorite dish, the story that goes behind it, the whole sentiment that you have when you create that dish. You know, it brings back, you know, childhood memories or what have you. And so those three principles were what I used when I interviewed and scouted these talents and so everyone on that list fit that so the the, these Asian chefs are I mean were they going to be working at Brennan's restaurants or is it like a course Uh, that they're going to teach to Brennan chefs or um, Nochi uh, for short that's New Orleans uh, Culinary and and, uh, Hospitality Institute is the concept that Cafe Hope and Cafe Reconcile has, mm-hmm. minus, minus the Catholic charity. So uh, Mr. Brennan, along with other uh, famous individuals in the restaurant business, are partners in this. And so it's a teaching school. Uh, and, and then, you know, I, I don't know the full concept of they will have eventually, you know, if there would be a restaurant running out of that, I would imagine it would be. And then so the students would be those who wouldn't normally have the means. So they're, they're there through scholarship or reduce uh, educational fees. So again, the same concept of Cafe Hope and Cafe Reconcile. And then the talents that I scouted for him would likely be rotating instructors. But I did tell the, everyone on, on the list at this point, you know, at this, the curriculum is not yet built. They could be a part of that initial roundtable. And so everyone that's on that list, are, they're very excited just knowing that uh, Mr. Brennan wanted this community to be involved very much. And so, you know, it, it's like for him to go into the community, he would need an interpreter or a homegirl, so to speak. Why Why did he choose to, um, I mean, what about the Vietnamese community appealed to him to be involved in this project? Well, I'll tell you, um, and, and I, and uh, I, I, I'll tell you personally, from, from my point of view, um, even though I moved here in, in 09, that was already after the fact of Katrina, the Vietnamese community who, who have lived here pre-Katrina rebuilt 
very quickly. They were determined to get their lives back. Famous for it. Very yes. amazing, yes. Without I very mean, much federal help. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and there, it, there, I mean, there was, no, there was no question about it. It was like, here's our task. Let's get it done. So it was that kind of mentality that I know that he admires. It's like, okay, here is our project. Let's get it done. So we weren't going to you know go to meetings after meetings and 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 have uh committees after committees it's like we knew what had to be done and we just did it Mm -hmm. and so i think it was that kind of work ethics that he admires and and i'm very flattered by that and so and and then of course you know coupled with the sheer fact that he he just didn't know how to get into the community and such. And so right now, I, I would say that he's not in the community, but once these individuals come to the round table um, and, and, and you know, partner with Nochi and be rotating instructors, you know, I think then both sides are going to to win, meaning that the... I'm dying to know who these players are, but I know you'll get in trouble. I know. So you'll tell me after the microphones are off, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, you know, like I said, um, I, I, was, I was being very objective. Um, I wanted a good mixture. So it wasn't necessarily, oh, who's my favorite, who I don't like. I mean, if it was my favorite... Or maybe a little bit it was like that. <laughs> Come no, on. No, Come I, on. I, I had I had those I had those three principles. I had those three principles as part of my sifting. No out. bartering for meals on nope, this? Not, no, no nope, free meals. No lifetime free, free nope, meals at not, Benvia or something. Not at all. No strings attached, <laughs> no no free meals, no nothing. Um yeah, it it was just simply and I mean he, he called me, he said he said, You're a connector and I was like Oh, I guess I am, you know? (laughs) So he gave me that little title. And uh, I also don't think that he thought, or I I, I, I sense from him that he didn't think I could do it, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, it's like a challenge. It was a challenge. And I did it. And now, now I, I brought you this list that you can have in your hand, but you can't read it out oh, loud. Oh, okay. But okay. now there's, now there are Vietnamese <laughs> on here. There are Vietnamese on here, but there is, uh, you know, there is one Anglo, one Filipino, one Mexican. So, but you know, again, I, you know, I, I made it, I made it diverse because I knew that the talent and also I have eaten their foods and I also knew how proud they are mm-hmm. and also that they are, first generation as well too oh excellent immigrants right and they're able to tell the story and if and if you're looking for mainstream cooking you weren't going to get it from them you know and so i made sure that wasn't mainstream cooking you know fascinating yeah so this uh this clearly the the demonstration that you like a challenge is bringing me to the last topic i think we have time to talk about we have a shared hobby okay we both box at the same gym. Yeah, I heard. That's what I heard. Well, I'm going to correct you on that. I go to the Friday night boxing club, but I don't box. I, I started, um, I use my lucky money. If you if you know what lucky money is, that's Lee C, Dean Lee C, uh-huh, uh-huh. okay? So this year, Lunar and, uh, you know, Lunar Chinese, Vietnamese New Year, uh, Ma and Ji, Jiao Jiao Ji, Dean Lee C, okay? So I got some lucky money. 
Uh, if you're Vietnamese, you know uh, I got high jam, but if you're American, I'm not going to tell you how much it was. It's <laughs> a good amount, okay. enough for a year membership I at know. a gym. Well, what that was, was that gave me, and I put a little bit of my own in there, it gave me, so I paid for 10 sessions for a personal trainer. Oh, okay. Okay, and so Mike, the owner at Friday Night's uh, Boxing but Club. But you picked and, that gym, which picked, doesn't I, even have a flush toilet. I know. I'll, I picked that gym. I'll tell you why I picked that gym. Um, I don't live or work in or own property or businesses in Aretha Castle Haley area at all. Uh, this was an up and coming part of the yes, city. Yes. Long distressed and now kind of rising like a phoenix. Yes, absolutely. So uh, how I got there is going to be another talk show. But that doesn't matter how I got there. I got there last year, um, early last year, and I looked around the, the whole neighborhood and such like that, and what brought me there and what got me to come on board, so to speak. Uh, I'm a member of Aretha Castle Haley Merchant and Business Association. Okay. I, I pay a fee to be a member of OCHMBA. Even and, though you don't have a business on the street? Nope, okay. I don't. I do it because I'm showing my support for that district. I volunteer on a regular basis for Ashe Culture Arts Center. Uh, let me see, what else? Do I, and the OCH, I know the owners of Casa Borrega are very fond of you. Yes, so, so you know, again, I don't feel that I have to live there 24 7 but i think of it 24 7 and i do everything i can to assist them 24 7 and so that's how i got to know friday night boxing club they're right there yeah. and, and so with my lucky money um well this year i gave my you handed it over to unlucky mike, <laughs> unlucky the, mike. Gym <laughs> the gym owner <laughs> i got i got 10 training <laughs> session uh my trainer scotty Oh, great. Taught, yeah, taught she's me, taught a me some young boxer herself. Yes. yes. She's won a couple fights. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she's lean, lean as lean can get. Yeah, now, she was my sparring partner. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. yeah so uh, when I started with her, uh, I was 143. And that was um, the first. Uh, as I started with Mike the first week of February. I'm I, sorry. And, and I, no, no. I know. I started with Mike the first week of February. The second week of February, I started with her. And as we speak today, uh, I'm 133. Wow. And even though I don't go to the gym anymore, the technique she taught me, I joined the uh, West Jefferson Fitness Center, which uh -huh. is across the parking lot where I where I work it's so convenient and uh, so all the techniques she taught me I keep applying over and over because my ultimate goal this October is to go back to Portland and run my very first half marathon run you know any marathon at all and it's going to be for the Children Cancer Society of Association there in Portland good for and you so it's a personal challenge and again I'm doing something for charity um, and, and then, you know, I hope to goodness I don't come back sore. <laughs> but uh, again, that was the motivation. You know, I, I asked myself, how am I going to run this marathon? I want to do something different so I'm not bored constantly doing, you know, the, the same volunteer work for a nonprofit group. Um, I, I had the choices, various choices. So you decided to punch a bag with Scotty. I did. And, Excellent. And, and um, my, I'm not sore anymore. Yeah. I mean, initially I was sore. I couldn't walk. 
And I was like, oh my God. And now, I'm, I'm, and now you get the benefits of adrenaline. Yes. Yeah. Now I, I, I don't ever regret that I've worked out. Uh, I do it six days a week now. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. You know, and it's just. You're making me feel very lazy. So it's. Okay, it's we got to stop very talking good. about organs. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very good. So you very all good. of us feel very bad. No, but uh, Barbara, this has been an amazing, really fun conversation. I would love to have you and Mr. Brennan back to talk okay. more as this project launches. Oh, that would be wonderful. I think it would. Too. Well, you know, I uh, I believe uh, there's another talk show under the umbrella of It's New Orleans. Yes. Out, uh, yeah. Out, With out, food out to, out lunch, to lunch. Out to lunch. Yeah. They're at Commanders. Yeah. You know. There's, and then one at Casa Borrega as well. Yes. Happy hour. Right. So. Right. I'd love to. I'm sure you'll be in the It's New Orleans world soon enough that I hope to get you back here. Thank you. I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very, very much. And then, you know, I would like to further introduce, uh, you know, uh, the Amerasian community to mm-hmm. New Orleans. Cause, Absolutely. And, yeah. And next, in your next event that you'd have, we'd love to have you and maybe another guest to talk about that yes thank you no problem that's Vianola for today thank you so much for joining us at home at work on your phone wherever you are and whatever you're doing and a very special thanks to today's guest Barbara Tenga Weaver thank you our show is produced by Kim Vu Tom Lasher and Grant Morris our technical director is Chris Kehoe our theme song was composed by Taylor Smith and performed by the Swamp Relays The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes some of the best audio recording and live sounding products, including Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Air Studio monitors, and much more. Visit www.presonus.com for more information. You can follow us on Twitter at It's New Orleans. You can like us on Facebook, we're at It's New Orleans. And you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can listen to our other Vietnola shows on our website, itsneworleans.com, as well as our other shows, Happy Hour, Out to Lunch, Mindset, True to the Game, and Midnight Menu Plus One. Keep up with all kinds of fun happenings here at Vietnola by getting on our mailing list. Sign up on our website, itsneworleans.com. Vietnola was recorded today in the lovely city of New Orleans. If you'd like to be a guest on Vietnola, we'd love to have you. Drop us a line. You'll find all the information you need on our website. Vietnola is produced by INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For everyone here at Vietnola, thanks for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you back here next week for our next episode of Vietnola. Until then, I'm Kim Vu. Bye-bye. Summer's almost over, but at Old Navy, the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40, and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822 to 828 and online 822 to 824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees.